This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I think I agree with him. I don't think it's fair, but, but it's probably true. That usually it's the people who project themselves as having it all together. And they create this image of perfection that those people seem to be the ones that society unfairly scrutinizes. And I think that's wrong, but that lets us know something that, that, that that's part of human nature. When we, be, when we pretend we have it all together, and when we are superficial, and when we are uh, maybe fake or inauthentic, you know, people truly don't appreciate that. One of the best things that have happened, in my opinion, to the church over the last 20 years There's been a lot that's gone wrong with the church in the last 20 years. But one of the good things that have happened is there has been a dose of humility. And and there has been more authenticity. You know, it wasn't long ago, and you may remember this. And I'm sure it's this way still in a lot of churches. uh, Where everything was just superficial and everything was fake. And, you know, Sunday morning was a clothing competition to see who could dress the best and you had to have a certain dress code and there was a competition in the parking lot over who had the newest car and nobody admitted to having marriage struggles because we are perfect and we are Christians Uh, financial uh, difficulties weren't discussed parents cared more about their children's public image than they did their private hearts and some things have happened in our culture. We, there's been some public scandals of leaders. And the church's role has unfortunately diminished in society. And I think that's humbled the church and it's humbled us as believers. Uh, to now, uh, this is a good thing. We project uh, more authenticity than there once was. And, and I believe the book of Acts is extremely helpful in letting us understand a truth. And the truth is the theme of today's message, if you want to take notes, there's a chance for you to do so on the back of the bulletin. Because what I want to remind you of today and what the scripture is reminding us today is this. Struggles are normal. Struggles are normal. We are real people. And just because we're following Jesus and just because we're obeying his word and just because we've decided to be a disciple of Jesus does not mean we're never going to have a challenge and we're never going to have a struggle. And Acts is incredibly helpful in this because Acts is a book full of miracles and full of progress and full of healings and full of growth. And those are encouraging for us to read because those type of things should be happening in the church. But simultaneously, Acts tells the story of conflict and the story of struggle. So it helps us know that when we face struggles, we're going to be okay. When we face struggles, God is going to get us through it. Now, Acts chapter 7, we we talked about Acts 6 last week. Acts chapter 7 is the story of Stephen's execution for the sake of Christ. And he was killed because he stood up for Jesus. And now let's go to Acts 8 because I want to pick up the story there. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, And Saul approved of their killing him. That's being, uh, Saul was there giving approval to his death, being Stephen. And on that day, I want you to note there, this is a transitional point. This is the beginning of a new era for the church. 
The church went from explosive growth. They went to a point where they needed organization. But it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So there were still, there were still some who stayed in Jerusalem. But basically, the whole church was scattered throughout the world. And going on to verse 2, it says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, who we know eventually became Paul, and this is his pre-conversion, began to destroy the church. Now, that, that's a powerful phrase right there. Sometimes we read the Bible just historically like it's a textbook, and we don't let the gravity of what happened. As we read this verse, I want you to imagine your neighborhood, and I want you to imagine what this would feel like. Paul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. It's hard for us to imagine the gravity of that. We could look at historical accounts of what happened in Nazi Germany, uh, what happens to some of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. We can read reports of what happens currently today in Iran. But we as Americans, thank God, we don't understand this reality. We, we, I thank God for our country where we have freedom of religion and freedom of assembly. And that's something we need to cherish and honor. But think about our brothers and sisters in this century, in, excuse me, in the first century. And the gravity, as I read this verse, you know, I didn't want us just to read quickly through this. Let's read it again. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This was highly personal. This wasn't just about Stephen. You see, at that day, at the beginning of chapter 8, the persecution transitioned from one person, Stephen and James, to the whole church, everyone who followed Christ, everyone who was a disciple of Christ, there was a cost to pay for our faith, and there was a cost that they paid. So now let's look at verse 4. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That is the joy. That is the, the amazing part of the scripture, even though persecution came, even though struggle came, those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, persecution was deadly. Persecution cost people their lives. It wasn't simply just social uh, ostracism like we experienced. It wasn't just that we were ridiculed or made fun of or didn't get a promotion. I mean, people suffered. People died. And it's so easy for the first church, and it's so easy, of course, we are still part of that church, so let's say the first century church. It was easy for the first century church to think, God has abandoned us. It's really easy for the first century church to think, God hasn't, hasn't protected us as he should. But if you believe there's a sovereign God who cares about the souls of men, that we know that when we follow him, that even when struggle comes and even when persecution comes, God has a plan. God has a plan. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, it's not on your screen, but you'll remember this. Jesus gave some closing instructions. And he said this right before he ascended into the earth. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
That's what Jesus told them to do. He said, don't keep the message in Jerusalem. Acts 1.8, don't keep it right there in Jerusalem, but spread the message. Spread it outside the Jewish faith. Take it. Take it to the nations. Take it to the world. Take it to people who haven't heard. And like most of us tend to do, when we really like church and stuff, we really like what we have. And so even though Jesus had commanded them to take the gospel in Acts 1.8, they hadn't done so yet. And so let's, let's flip those verses in the sovereignty of whoever divided up the Bible. Uh, Acts 8.1. The answer to Acts 1.8 was Acts 8.1. Look at Acts 8.1 again. Said it this way. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the, Jew, the church of Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts 1 8. Take the gospel of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And now, because of persecution, because of conflict, that's how the gospel was spread. Up to this point, the, the witness of the gospel had been localized. It had just been contained. But the Lord said, I am going to make you uncomfortable, and I'm going to allow struggle to come to your life because I have a greater plan than you can imagine. This echoes what Dick Brogdon spoke two weeks ago, a willingness to lay down our lives for the gospel. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. Because it's with this context that some scripture that's probably familiar to you is, is going to sink deeper in your heart. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was also, we know, the leader of the Jerusalem church. So he was one of the few that stayed in Jerusalem when the rest, when the rest of the believers were scattered throughout the earth. They were scattered throughout the known world when they preached the gospel. And so now we're in James chapter 1. And it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's now speaking to Jewish believers. This is a direct correlation back to Acts 8.1. They're, they're scattered because of the persecution. And he says it this way. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons on, on this passage. I don't know if you have. Um, even back in, in training, Bible training school, when we would do, you know, you had to do a, a sermon for a grade. A lot of people would preach from this passage just because it's just, it's just really, it's really relevant and applies to us all. But I want you to understand this morning a greater depth because we read this passage through our lens. We think, yeah, you know, you know blessed am I, you know, when, when, when I um, don't advance financially because of the gospel and I've made a sacrifice and I've given some money. Or blessed am I when I when I endure some criticism or blessed am I when I give up my Sunday mornings um, to not participate in something I would like to participate in. And even though that applies, and even though that's true, I want you to understand that it goes deeper than that. 
people who had given their life completely to the gospel and who had this great sense of understanding that in God's sovereign will, that struggles are normal. And, and that's the first point I want to make. It, you know, it, it's, I, I, it's a title of the sermon, so there's no blank to fill out. But I want you to understand this. You see, there's a whole branch of Christianity that is very American-centered and American-based that believes that if, if you've gone through any struggle, it's your fault. That believes if, if anything's wrong in your life, you're doing something wrong. And those who, who fall under that teaching or yoke um, will take scriptures of the Bible and they will pull those scriptures uh, as isolated passages and they'll reinforce what they want to believe by taking these scriptures and not looking at the whole counsel of the Bible and, and, and frankly ignoring some of the scriptures I'm sharing with you this morning. And so I say that not to discourage you, but as a pastor here, I'm here to encourage you. I'm encouraging you in this, is that struggles will come, and when they come and you're prepared for that and you're ready, then you won't question God, you won't question yourself, you won't go into the pit of depression, you won't play the blame game. Instead, you'll get on the side God wants you to be, where you can say, I serve a God who is allowing me to go through this struggle, allowing me to go through this conflict because he has a greater plan for me. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not going to uh, soak in my own misery. I'm not going to blame God. I'm not going to blame systems. I'm not going to uh, look and, and, and have this, uh, this deep search in my heart to see everything I've done wrong. Instead, I'm going to trust our sovereign God is at work. And he's at work in me. Struggles are normal as long as we're in this life. Why are struggles normal? Because God has a purpose for our struggles. God is not punitive. He's not looking to punish us. He knows that he's set before us life and death. We can choose blessing. We can choose cursing. He has set principles that whatever we sow, we reap. But in the end, there are just times where he allows us to go through something tough and something difficult because he needs to accomplish his purpose and he needs to let his character develop within us. Let's look at James 1, 3 again. And what is the answer to this? What is the answer to this reality? The answer is verse 3. Uh, verse 3 of James chapter 1. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. I guess that wasn't verse 3. Sorry, David. That was verse 2 or 1 or verse 2, I believe. So consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. That takes incredible, incredible view of God. That's incredible trust in God. Because most of the time we want to blame God. Or we want to blame somebody else. And we don't want to accept his plan. And to say, God, you could be at work in this struggle. God, you could be at work in this trial. God, you're looking at a bigger picture. And this is not what I chose. It's not what I prefer. It's not really what, what, it's not the timing that I think is right. But God, I trust you. And let me tell you, when you have that attitude, you have more faith than anybody else on this planet because you're trusting in God. You're trusting in his character. You're trusting in who he is. Instead, we, we, we're often like spiritual brats. 
We get angry at God. We're demanding of God. We're like spoiled little kids. God, we want our lives to be perfect. And we don't realize that our life has been made perfect. We've been made righteous in Christ. And it's the condition of our soul that matters the most. This this earth and our time on this earth is temporary. Our struggles won't last forever. We're passing through. And yet, and yet we approach God with our struggles as if that as if we only have hope in this life and that we have to suck everything out of this life because any struggle, any inconvenience, um, any um, divergence from our plan that, that it has totally messed up our only time we have. And that's just not the case. God is developing something in us. Christ-likeness. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to have the fruit of his Holy Spirit. And you know this, that if you've ever been involved in gardening at any level, from observing to actually planting, you know this, that if it's all sunshine all the time, there's no growth. There's got to be clouds. There has to be rain. There has to be storms. There's no storms. It's not sustainable for growth. Fruit comes through a rhythm of storms and a rhythm of sunshine. Fruit comes when God brings conditions to our lives that have variety and they change and he knows exactly what we need. Trials never seem pleasant. They, they, they may seem difficult. They may seem disagreeable. But afterwards, after the trial, there's a fruit in our life. There's a character in our life. There's more of the Spirit's manifestation. Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Hey, let's just be honest here. I, I'm glad whoever wrote Hebrews was honest about this. Discipline can feel, feel painful at times. And that's why James said you have to consider it pure joy. It's probably not pure joy, but let's consider it pure joy. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you allow the testing of your faith, if you allow the struggle, if you allow the trial and, and, and keep the right attitude and, and stay in the spirit of joy and an attitude of joy, God will work all things. You see, when we're, we're, when we're tested, when we're tested by God, it's a refining process. And here's the next thing I want you to write down. Struggles are refining. Struggles are refining. Look at verse 2 again. It says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, verse 3, the testing of your faith. That word testing is only used one other time in the scripture. I had to, I had to take time to look at it again so I didn't mess up our media person. That, t- that testing is only used one other time in the scripture, and that is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Peter 1, 7 says it this way. Those... These have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So the word testing is talking about a refining process. And we know that metals go through fire. 
because it refines them and they come out of the fire more approved. And that's exactly what in James chapter one, verse three, that's exactly what James was talking about to these tribes that were scattered because of persecution. He said, you are being tested. You are being refined. You're going through the fire and you're being refined by the fire. Now reading on, it says this, so that you may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The testing of our faith is not there to punish us. It's there to uh, grow us. It's there to stretch us. And And in the testing, in the refining process, there's pressure. And you need to understand something. I understand that the trials we go through and the struggles we go through sometimes create immense pressure in our lives, whether it be financial pressure, relational pressure, and and we want to run from that. We want to run from the refining process. We want to have a system of thought or we want to have a, a belief system that says struggles are all bad and nothing bad should come to my life. And we want to resist that. And when we do that, we don't let God finish the process. Sometimes he has a certain level of pressure in our life for a certain amount of time because we're coming through the fire. We're coming through the test. We are being refined by him and we won't be there forever. We're coming through it. God is looking for well-rounded Christians who have his fruit in their life. That's why verse four of James chapter one says it this way, let patience have its perfect work. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. A lot of times what we do spiritually is we want to cut short the pain. We want to cut short the process. And so when God is testing us, we try to get out of it. We try to leave the situation or we try to change the plan or we try to doubt his word or if he's told us to do something, we begin to question whether he's told it because the endurance is creating pressure and we want the pressure to end. But you need to understand there's a patience that happens. If you let God do his work fully and let him finish his work, then Through that work, he's going to complete everything. Struggles are normal. Struggles are normal because God is in the struggle. He is is working within that, and he's refining us, and he wants us to be more fruitful people. Fanny Crosby uh, was one of the most amazing uh, songwriters and poets of our time. She wrote over 9,000 hymns. 9,000 hymns. So many hymns that she changed her name on many of the hymns. Some of the hymns you know, uh, Blessed Assurance, Pass Me Not, O O Gentle Savior, uh, To God Be the Glory. But what was amazing about Fanny Crosby besides her incredible gift is the fact that she was blind from the most earliest ages of her life. Within two or three weeks of her life, a, a doctor misdiagnosed a problem with her and caused her to be blind forever. And she... She took that weakness and she took that trial and she's left so many gifts to the world. One of the first things she ever wrote down, she was eight years old, or or one of of the first poems she wrote, and, and let's read it together. At eight years old, she said, oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I'm resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people's don't, to weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot and I won't. What an attitude of understanding that that God can take, God can take this blindness and he can still use it for his glory. I know many of you have gone through uh, trials that 
I've walked with you and I can only empathize at the trials you've been through. I can only empathize with some of the pain. I can only, I, I admire some of you and your families for what you've been through and, and, and you are an inspiration to me. You know, the, the times I get to pray with you at the hospital or the funeral home or, or whatever the case is, it's such an honor to be a part of that. But you don't understand, you're the one that inspires me by the way you live your life and the way you trust Christ through the trials. One of my friends over the last year has had heart cancer. And he went through the process, and thank God he's doing so much better now. And as he completed his treatment, and things look really good right now, he said something that a lot of cancer survivors have said. And I can only quote his words because I can never, I can never, um, I can never project these words upon you. So I'm just quoting someone who's been through this. He said, "You know, I would never, I would never want to have cancer again. I would never wish it upon anyone. But it, as you've heard other people say, my friend said this. But I would never trade my experiences that I had because of cancer. I would never trade." how much love was in the treatment and, and the words I were able to exchange with my family, with my friends. See, God, even through something as difficult as that, is under the pressure, the refining pressure, he is developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Here's the last thing I want you to write down, and here's the hope we have today. <laughs> you hear the sermon, struggles are normal. Oh, no. Struggles are temporary. Struggles are temporary. That's the hope we have today. We're not going to struggle forever. We're not going to struggle perpetually. Struggles are temporary. Fanny Crosby, someone, a well-wisher one time, told her, they said, what a tragedy that you haven't been able to see. What a tragedy that you haven't been able to live your life and be able to see all the beautiful world. And she responded with these amazing words. She said, do you know that at birth... I had, if I had been able, excuse me, it says, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been this, to be born blind. She said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. You see, Fanny Crosby, she's not blind today. She's in heaven on the streets of gold. She's in the celestial city and she is seeing the glory of God with her eyes because even her earthly blindness was temporary and I, I just want to remind you today whether it's in this life or the next life the struggle that you have won't last forever you won't be the way you are now forever you won't be sick forever you won't be lonely forever you won't be you have that uh, disability forever you won't have that perpetual sin forever God is going to set you free God is going to take you through the trial God is is not finished with you. He is developing his character within you. He's not done with you yet. Struggles are normal, but they're normal because they're not because God has a plan for them. They're normal, but they're not forever. They're normal, but they won't last for, forever. They're normal because God is working in them, but they will end. All struggle will end. All conflict will end. God is going to set his cause and way in your life, and your struggle is not forever. It's temporary. That is is the hope that we have. I think about Romans chapter 8. What a beautiful scripture this is. Romans chapter 8 says this, can anyone ever separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity. Obviously the answer is no. 
are, are persecuted, are hungry, are destitute, are in danger, are threatened with death. As the scripture says, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is, in, is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, we are more than conquerors. We have overwhelming victory through Jesus. We might have a struggle today, but we're not going to struggle forever. God is at work. He is working through our struggle, and he has a plan for us. He is forming Christ in us, and we are going to go to be with him someday where all struggles will end. But until that day comes, we will endure. We will believe. We will have joy. We will have faith. We will not question our God. We will submit to our God. We will not be spoiled brats. We will be submissive servants and say, God, we are your people. You are working all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God is at work with you today. He's at work in you. You are not a bad person because you are struggling. You are not a bad person. You have not done anything wrong necessarily. Struggle if you love God and you are called according to his purpose. He is using that struggle in your life and he's going to continue to use that. And so we go to him and we go to the cross today. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We submit to you. We thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. I'm going to invite our ushers now to begin to prepare our communion. And as they're getting that ready, I want to ask you today to submit to this Jesus that you love. Here in a moment, they're going to pass out communion, and I want you to hold the bread and hold the cup and have a time of reflection. And then I'm going to pray with you, and we're going to make sure all of us take the bread and cup this morning in a worthy manner so we can repent of our sins. And what communion does is it takes us to Jesus, and that's what this message is about. It takes us to Jesus, our, our, our big brother, our savior, our sovereign Lord, our God, our friend, our teacher, our companion. He is the one who took the ultimate struggle, the struggle against sin, and he paid the penalty, he paid the price so that we don't have to live with the consequences of sin. And so today, today we take time to reflect on this to reflect on who he is, reflect on what he's done, and then to repent of our sins. You know, the Bible says that, that if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you came with sin in your heart to this church today, you do not have to leave with sin in your heart. Our God is here to forgive your sins. Our God is here to wipe your heart clean, to make you clean on the inside. If maybe some of you feel like might have some resentment towards God today because something in your life's not going the way you would have hoped, wished, or planned. And the Lord says that today he wants you to repent of resentment and he wants you to turn to him today. He wants to do a great work in your heart. And he wants you to trust fully that he's working in you, that he has a plan, he's working in the struggle. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on these things this morning, you would soften our, soften our heart, prepare us for your table. We focus on you, Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.